Good evening and welcome to Sports Takeover on RMU Radio. I'm Matt and Chris is alongside me. Lots to discuss tonight, so let's get to it. We're going to start in NASCAR. Chris, what are you looking for in the final race this weekend? Oh, well, the final race this weekend is uh, starting out to be a really good one. We have Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, and Martin Truex Jr. as the final four competing for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Championship. Really, three of those four drivers have kind of dominated all season. Harvick, Busch, and Truex combined have 20 wins out of the 35 races this season. They've been heralded as the big three since earlier in the year. Harvick and Bush, each respectively, have gone on three race winning streaks earlier in the year. They've really dominated. Joey Logano has come on strong in the playoffs, at least, being the fourth driver in. He only has two wins on the season, but he's been doing really well recently. Kevin Harvick has won the championship before in 2014. So has Kyle Busch, 2015. Martin Truex did just last year. And Joey Logano never has, so he is definitely the underdog right now, but it's certainly sizing up to be a great weekend. Yeah, so you definitely have those top three, and Joey Logano is kind of the odd man out, but of course very much alive in this race coming up. Uh, Truex Jr., the defending champ, as you mentioned. Kevin Harvick this season has the most top fives, the most top tens, and most laps led. So certainly some stats to go in his favor there. Uh, Bush has the best average finish at uh, 8.4. So some interesting numbers there. Uh, this race this weekend is at uh, Homestead Miami Speedway. Logano is the only one who has not won there in his career. The other three have each won there once. Kevin Harvick, among these four, has raced there the most times, finished in the top five the most, the top ten the most, and has the best average finish at 6.8 of the four that will be competing um, for the title this weekend. So some interesting numbers there at this uh, particular track. And the way the championship works is it's the standard 40-driver field that every other race has. However, only those four can win the championship, and essentially the way it works is whoever finishes the best out of those four, regardless of laps led, regardless of anything else in the race, the top finisher of those four will be crowned the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series champion for 2018. Certainly an exciting weekend in NASCAR. Can't wait to see what happens. Moving forward, we have a little bit of MLS news, playoff news, kind of halfway through now. Semifinals are coming to fruition pretty soon. All the top seeds last week, we discussed how they were kind of doing unfavorably through the first leg of their matchup. Well, the second leg, they showed that they are a top seed for a reason, where Sporting KC, New York Red Bulls, and Atlanta all came back to advance, and the only underdog that advanced was Portland, who is the five seed, who has now been the underdog and advanced twice. So... The seeds that we think should win have won so far, but Portland is there. They've been fighting the whole way through. Yeah, so let's look at the Eastern Conference first, the Red Bulls and Atlanta United. Like you said, those are the top two. Those are kind of the, the teams that we expected to see there. Uh, New York City, or excuse me, New York Red Bulls um, lost one to nothing and then uh, won three to one in their matchup against Columbus to advance. Atlanta won one nothing and three to one against New York City FC. So a more dominating um, stage there for Atlanta. New York is two and zero against Atlanta in the regular season. So you can take that how you'd like. Interesting matchup. You had the top offense in the regular season in Atlanta taking on the top defense in New York. So that will certainly be um, a matchup to keep an eye on in the Eastern Conference Final. In the Western Conference Final, you talked about the Portland Timbers. Um, they didn't have the privilege of the bye that these other three teams have had. Um, maybe that works in their favor. Maybe they have some extra momentum here coming into the Western Conference Final. Um, they had a 2-1 to one win and a 2-3 to three loss against Seattle, um, but the road goals gave them the advantage and they advanced. Sporting KC, a 1-1 draw and a 4-2 victory over Real Salt Lake to get to this point. Uh, regular season, Portland did not beat Sporting KC. A 3-0 and a 0-0 um, finals. They haven't scored a goal against them all season, which is, I think, something interesting going into this game. Yeah, they're certainly going to have to score, obviously, to advance. Seeing how they have it in the first two games doesn't really set them well, especially since Sporting KC was the one seed, obviously the favorite. You mentioned in the East, we're seeing the top defense versus the top offense. I'd have to imagine one of those has to break. I can't really see both those games being playing to each of their styles. Someone is going to either have a letdown on offense or a letdown on defense. Should be interesting. Those conference finals will occur after Thanksgiving, so fill up on turkey while you will and then get ready for some MLS soccer. If I can say one more thing, in favor of the Timbers, obviously having not scored a goal in their two games against KC so far, doesn't bode well for them, but if there is one positive, 
they have four goals um, in their uh, previous couple games here with Seattle. Seattle's defense was second in the regular season. So if you want to find a bright side in terms of a team that's trying to score goals who maybe hasn't had a success in scoring goals, they did just put up four in two games over the second best defense in the regular season. So maybe they, they have the hot hand coming into this matchup. Time will tell. And the one thing they do have going for them is as the five seed, they've already overcame adversity twice, beating two of the higher ranked seeds. Why not a third? Sometimes it's just all about getting hot at the right time. Very interesting to see what happens here. Yeah, as you said, first leg, November 25th. Moving on to college football, we're going to shift the focus a little bit in our college football talk, and we're going to talk about the Heisman race this week. Who do you have in the Heisman race right now, Chris? Oh, boy, oh, boy. There is a lot of good players on a lot of good teams. The reason we're shifting our focus is the top 10, the same top 10 as it was last week. There's not really anything new to discuss with them. We are getting towards the end of the season, though, so it's time to start picking out some Heisman semifinalists or finalists. There's a few guys that definitely have shined for their team this year. They're the reason why they're at the top of the league. The first is the quarterback for Alabama, Tua Tagovailoa. He, on the season, he has 2,525 yards, 28 touchdowns to just two interceptions. He has only 148 yards on the run or on the ground with three touchdowns. But the big touchdown to interception ratio of 14 is huge. His yardage is a little bit down, but that's because Nick Saban has just been able to pull him in the second half of a lot of games because Alabama's been blowing out their opponents. Another guy I have up there is Kyler Murray, quarterback for Oklahoma. He has 3,038 yards in the year, 32 touchdowns to five interceptions, a 70.9% completion percentage, and he's a little bit more versatile on the ground. He has 640 yards with seven touchdowns, so definitely some good quarterback play from two teams that are inside the top six. Yes, I have both of those guys on my list as well. A couple other guys that I like, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, Will Greer from West Virginia, and Gardner Minshew from uh, Washington State. All of those teams also rank in the top 10, 8, 9, and 10. Um, I don't know. I think, I think a guy like Tua gets a lot of the spotlight playing for the top team in the country. Um, the two interceptions certainly are a fantastic number. Um, his stats aren't necessarily where the stats are for some of these other guys. Um, but you talked about him being pulled from some of those games. Dwayne Haskins is an interesting one. He has 3,280 yards on the season, 33 touchdowns, that's second in the FBS, and six interceptions for Ohio State. Kind of a guy whose name was on a lot of people's radars early from his play, has kind of dropped off recently, I think, as Ohio State has also dropped off. Absolutely. I think Ohio State's finish will have a big impact on his Heisman potential. Uh, it certainly seems like that team goes as he does. So I think if that's a team that finishes where they are now, finishes higher than uh, where they are right now, maybe knocks off Michigan at the end of the season, I think that could bode well for him. Um, but certainly a lot of quarterbacks in the mix. A couple other players, Jonathan Taylor, a running back from Wisconsin. He leads the FBS in yards, 1,548 on the ground, 12 touchdowns to go along with that. Wide receiver from UMass, Andy Isabella. This is a guy I had to look up to find. Certainly not a household name, but he leads uh, all FBS wide receivers in receptions with 87, yards with 1,479, and he's tied for fourth with 11 receiving touchdowns. Um, and just to throw someone in there defensively, Josh Allen, linebacker from Kentucky, 17th ranked team in the country. He's got 11 sacks, which ties him for second in the country. Five forced fumbles ties him for first. He also has 65 tackles, combined tackles to add on to that as well. The unfortunate thing about Josh Allen is not only is he not the quarterback from Wyoming who was drafted by the Bills, he is also on defense where when people look at college football, you really look at the offensive players. It's I for can't sure. even tell you how many years it's been since the defensive player has won the Heisman, but it's always the quarterback or the running back, barely even the receiver. You mentioned that guy from UMass. Obviously, nobody talks about UMass, but the fact that there's a guy doing so well and not getting any recognition just shows how hard it is for receivers. Another guy I have on my list is running back for Clemson, Travis Etienne. He only has 1,077 yards, so about 500 shy of Jonathan Taylor's. However, he does have 15 touchdowns on the ground, though, which is rather impressive. One of the things also I think is very interesting is that the Kyler Murray versus Will Greer, those two players being for Oklahoma and West Virginia play each other later in the season. So I really imagine that the loser of that game, he just immediately goes out of the Heisman race because I would have to imagine the winner will have, you know, the signature Heisman moment that a lot of the people who decide who the Heisman Trophy winner is, they look for that a lot, like a big run that breaks off that, you know, six tackles broken or 
avoids the pocket, dances around, throws it to the wide open receiver in the end zone for the touchdown. Something along those lines people really look for. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, you talked about the last time a defensive player won the Heisman. This is just a quick Google search, so feel free to fact check me. But the name that popped up is Charles Woodson. I, th- I had a feeling in 1997. But I know that Michigan ran him at receiver a little bit, too, and he did return. So was, he wasn't exclusively on defense, obviously primarily a cornerback, but still. Correct. Before either of us were born, once again, it was the last time a defensive player won the Heisman. I think Gardner Minshew, he's really getting overlooked as Washington State is as a whole. If Washington State can finish the year with only one loss, right now Minshew sits with 3,852 yards, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions, so the ratio is not as great. But he has 3,800 yards. He's definitely led a team in Washington State that nobody thought would be in the situation they are to a top 10 position currently. So I think if he can help continue them along, get them you know through the Pac-12 championship game with only one loss, he's definitely somewhere that can't be overlooked. Yeah, you're right. That ratio isn't the same, but that yardage leads the FBS. That's the most passing yards of any quarterback. So certainly worthy of being in the conversation, as are others that we may not have on this list. Um, not a lot of football left to be played, but certainly enough that um, some of these names will stand out above others come time for the voting. And definitely important games are what the voters are going to look at. They're not going to care about Alabama playing the Citadel this week. They will care about what them. A, what a waste of a game. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You're in the thick of the SEC battle. I understand that you're number one in the country, but are you kidding me? The Citadel? The Come SEC's on. always had a thing where towards the end of the season, like with a few weeks left, they have their random non-conference game against the FCS school or a very low-level FBS school. I don't understand it. It takes the pressure off them for a week, I guess, so they can keep their position in the polls. But either way, that game's not going to make a difference. The game against Georgia in the championship game will. The game for Travis Etienne in the ACC championship game will help. Like I said, the Oklahoma-West Virginia matchup will make a big difference. You mentioned Ohio State-Michigan. So a lot of big games to be played. This list will get narrowed down to three by the end of the year, but right now it's wide open as far as I'm concerned. Lots of time and lots of exciting action left to determine who wins the Heisman Trophy. Moving on to the NFL, a topic that has been discussed far more than it needs to be. Not by us yet, though. We try to keep away. We have kept away, but it has made... A headline, and not just a headline, but the final head not the final headline, but the it's decisive the headline. The decisive headline. Le'Veon Bell will not play this season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a bold prediction of mine just last week. Um, the deadline was Tuesday, 4 o'clock. He didn't show up. He is ineligible to play. We finally have our answer. What's the impact moving forward? Well, earlier in the year, I was a very firm believer in that the Steelers would not be able to win a Super Bowl without Le'Veon Bell. I did not know that James Conner was going to have the amazing season that he has had. The last I saw of James Conner going to this year, he was tearing his ACL against the New England Patriots. Nothing about that indicated to me that he was going to be a standout running back and receiving back that the Steelers have utilized him as. His output this year for the Steelers has been ridiculous. He's definitely a guy that Pittsburgh fans have clung to, adored, loved, definitely more than Le'Veon Bell. He grew up in Erie just a few hours away from Pittsburgh, went to school at Pitt, played at the same Heinz Field that he now plays for with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So people in the town have seen this kid grow up a lot, and they are definitely liking what they've been seeing from him. I'm surprised, honestly, that he's been doing so well. I didn't imagine this would come from him. No, I'm super impressed with James Conner, and I'm like you. At the beginning of the season, I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he would be great. Le'Veon Bell is a great running back. Um, at the beginning of the season, I, w- I felt that that was a big hole that they had offensively, and I felt that that was one that they would eventually fill. Well, obviously, as the season went on, I think it became blatantly obvious that he was not interested in coming back. And given the success of James Conner, I don't think this has any impact on the Steelers. If anything... I think this has a positive impact on the Steelers, which is a crazy thing to say about a running back as good as Le'Veon Bell, but it's been nothing but a distraction since the start of training camp. He hasn't reported. He's never really shown any signs of reporting. All of these reports that, oh, he's going to be there next week, the Steelers expect him next week, is just, it was ridiculous. It drove me crazy because he never showed any intention of, he said he wanted to come back, but there were never any signs pointing to his return. Um, And constantly it's brought up. Mike Tomlin has to answer questions. James Conner has to answer questions. I have to get updates from Bleacher Report because he's tweeting about James Conner. There's an entire story around Le'Veon Bell that has nothing to do with the real story. Well, the real story has been decided. He's not going to play for the Steelers this year. Hopefully, that's not going to end all the distractions, but hopefully 
it limits the distractions. The Steelers no longer have to answer the question, do you think Le'Veon is going to show up? What happens when he shows up? What happens if he doesn't show up? He is not going to be here. James Conner is the running back. End of story. I think this is great for the Steelers. And the one thing, too, I think the media has had such a terrible influence on this. I don't think the Steelers honestly care that Le'Veon Bell is not here. I think that they want to play with the players that show up. They will play with the players that show up. Mike Tomlin will coach the players that show up. The media is the people that keep saying, oh, where's Le'Veon Bell? Or when's he going to join the team? Or how is the team going to adjust when he joins them? I don't think Mike Tomlin has ever sat through a meeting with you know the running backs, the offense, or whatever, and said, all right, so here's the game plan. But if Le'Veon comes, this is what it's going to be. No, he's planning for what he has. Essentially, Le'Veon Bell has been treated as an injured player all year, someone that they've had the game plan around. One of the things about his not being on the team this year is that our offensive line is extremely good. It's very underrated. We have shown that we can put essentially any running back behind the offensive line we have and put up great numbers. Connor right now sits third in the league in rushing, which nobody saw coming this year. That's with the Steelers having a bye where teams have not had buys yet too, so he has one less game than a few other players. Ben Roethlisberger sits fourth in passing right now. So both of those components of the offense have been opened up. Antonio Brown leads the league in touchdown receptions too. All three of those different components of the offense have been opened up without Le'Veon Bell being here. Obviously, he is a very important player that defense needs to game plan for. But seeing how the Steelers are sitting in first place and having all the great offensive success they're having, I don't think it's been as difficult a challenge as people have made out to seem. No, you're totally right. It's the media. It's not the team. It's not the fans. It's the media. And, I mean, obviously the hot topic with this is, well, is he doing the right thing? Why is he not at, at the games? Why is he not showing up for the Steelers? Why is he letting his teammates down? Or, on the other hand, oh, he's making a great decision. It's a business decision, whatever. Regardless of your opinion, I think it's just great that the situation's finally over. It's resolved. He's not going to play this year. I don't think he's ever going to play for the Steelers again. There's no reason. The Steelers can franchi franchise tag him at the end of the year. I don't see why they're going to do that. I think it's it's going to be in the $25 million range should they do that, which is an $11 million increase from what it was this year. Um, because I think it's this would be the third year, and I believe in the third year it switches from the average salary of the top five at your position to the top five or top ten in the NFL. So essentially we'd be the Steelers would be paying him like a quarterback to maybe show up or maybe not show up. So I think his time in Pittsburgh is done. Situation is finally resolved. As a football fan, I'm happy that the situation is resolved. We can all move on from where's Waldo looking for <laughs> Le'Veon Bell, and we can just watch the actual Steelers offense that is on the field. The thing is, I wonder just from an NFL standpoint, not a Pittsburgh Steelers standpoint, where does this leave Le'Veon Bell for the offseason? I don't know that this holdout helped him in any degree. He is – been he's healthy all year he's been able to play essentially he's just chosen not to I don't know why another team in the league would look at a guy and say oh, I value him for sitting out a whole season I'm going to pay him more than he would have earned based off of something I haven't seen him do in a year and a half which is play professional football in the NFL he think him and his agent have treated this situation very interestingly the last the report I heard was that his agent thought he should be in the quarterback range of $27 million. Well, what are you basing that number off of? Something we haven't seen in almost a year. You're saying that your guy is able to make more than every other running back and receiver has position and that he deserves quarterback money when you haven't seen him play. I just don't know what kind of team will want to pay him in the manner that he wants to be paid. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation. Um, he's definitely going to get signed. Yes. Just the caliber of player that he is and the fact that there's 32 teams in the National Football League, he's going to get signed. I personally would not pay him what he wants. Reason being is exactly what you said. He hasn't played in, by the time he would be signed, a year and a half. And if you are expecting at $27 million a year to play for a good football team after you haven't played in a year and a half, I don't think that's going to happen. But I also don't see him going to any random team. If the Cleveland Browns or the New York Jets come knocking, I'm confident that he's not going to accept that offer. So I don't know where it puts him. I don't know. 
obviously the money, I don't think it's that he values the money. I think it's that he's trying to make a point. Obviously, he's lost $14.5 million this year. It's not that he needs the money. It's not that he's that greedy. It's the fact that he's trying to prove a point for running backs. And I get that, and I respect that. But I have to think, it, at this point, you've kind of created a problem for yourself. I mean, maybe not. I, uh, there's teams out there that are going to be desperate enough to pay him what he wants. It's a matter of what kind of team that's going to be and what kind of place he's willing to go. It's just... I don't know. I don't know how you give that much money to someone who hasn't played in over a year. Yeah, I guess for every cause you believe in, there has to be somebody up front that takes the fall. In the NFL, you wouldn't assume it would be an all-pro, you know, considered number one, number two, number three running back in the league. However, this year we have seen that situation. And I know in the last offseason there was reports that the Jets offered him money and he basically laughed them off. Well, if you're not going to, you know, listen to offers like that, who are you going to listen to offers from? There, You have to be on a team that has the money. There's certainly very few, if any, team or organizations better than the Steelers to play for as a running back. I just don't know. I understand that what he's trying to get out of it, but I don't know what he will get out of it. It's a very interesting situation. But once again, like you said, I'm just glad it's over for the season. Yeah, he's going to need to find the perfect situation. It's just going to have to be a team that, honestly, he, best case scenario for him is he finds a team that is a running back away from winning a Super Bowl. And that's how he's going to get his money and play for the type of team he wants to play for. But that's a perfect situation that might only come down to a single team. So we'll see what that happens. But, yes, basic, uh, basically it's over. That's the bottom line. It's done. He's not going to be here. Um, we can all move on. And as we move on, let's stay in the NFL to some interesting developments from this past weekend. There were some weird upsets and definitely some teams that are now on life support. Starting off with New England Patriots, they lost 34-10 to the Tennessee Titans. I think a surprise by everybody in the league. The New York Jets, I'm going to throw in there. I don't know if this is really an upset, but they did get crushed 41-10 by the Buffalo Bills, who started Matt Barkley for the first time this season. I didn't see this coming. I don't know that anybody saw this coming. And also, the Atlanta Falcons lost 28-16 to the Hugh Jackson-less Cleveland Browns. Definitely not anything that these three teams wanted to have happen to them. So what's the situation with these three teams, Matt? What are they looking forward to? Well, let's start in the AFC East with the Patriots and with the Jets. Um, first of all, let's make one thing clear. Neither of these teams are on life support. The Patriots season is very much alive. The New York Jets season is very much dead. That's all that there is to it. However, these are huge upsets. I mean, the Titans are not a bad football team. They're sitting at 5-4, and four, second in that division, um, a team that was solid a year ago. But, man, 10-34, to 34, that's, that's a big loss for a Patriots team that's been hot lately. Um, as for the Jets and the Bills, what the heck happened with the Jets and the Bills this weekend? My bold prediction last week is that there would be more turnovers in this game than scoring plays because of how poorly these two offenses have played. Where the Buffalo Bills came up with over 40 points from, I have no idea. And it's not like the New York Jets have a bad defense. Their defense is solid. It's, it's okay. And they gave up 41 points to the Buffalo Bills. That blows my mind. In the grand scheme of things, it really makes no difference because both of these teams are out, have been out, will continue to be out. But, man, what a, what a weird game. Uh, like I said, though, the Patriots are, are fine. The Falcons, on the other hand, that was bad. are not fine. No. And this is a Cleveland team that's better. And this is a Falcons team that clearly isn't the same team that we've seen in recent years. But it's also a Falcons team that had won three straight games and was trying to get above 500. And in all divisions to be in, the NFC South, they need to be above 500, chasing the Saints and the Panthers. Now they're sitting at four and five after a loss to Cleveland. I, I'm I think the Falcons are definitely on life support at best. Um, the NFC is tough. The NFC South is tougher. I, they've had games this year where there's just no showing. Not only do you lose to Cleveland, but twenty-eight to 16, 16 points against Cleveland. Cleveland's defense is bad. Bottom five, I think, in the it's NFL. Been bad all year too. So I don't know what you're supposed to be a high-flying offense, and you put up sixteen against Cleveland. I think they're in big trouble. One of the only things they do have going for them is there are some other teams in the NFC who, close to that second wild card spot, also had some very disappointing results this weekend. Let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles. They dropped to four and five on the season after losing to Dallas Cowboys team, who moved up to four and five now. So that's tough for both of those two teams, both sitting at four and five, two games behind the six and three Washington Redskins in that division. Also, the Seattle Seahawks, maybe not as unexpected, but you know the tough 
hard-fought loss to the Rams this past weekend. They also fall to four and five. With as good, they're done playing the Rams this season, which is good for them. But they're obviously not going to win in the division. They can actually, the Rams can clinch the division this week. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But still, going down the four and five is very difficult for all three of these teams. One thing that's even more difficult for the Eagles is their starting cornerback, Ronald Darby, tore his ACL this past weekend. So that puts the Eagles not only at a four and five record, which they deem have five losses all of last year, and now they are losing one of their starting defensive players in a very tough NFC East, which I have not been able to pick or predict at all in any of the last five seasons. I just never seem to get those games right. It's almost like the players on those teams agree that they just can't decide who needs to win at the right time either. Yeah, so four and five is an interesting number. Um, and for me, in terms of what teams on life support, depends on kind of my expectations for them coming in. I don't look at Seattle and Dallas as being on life support because I think this is either where they should be or a little bit better than where they should be. So, yeah, it's still four and five, and you're not in a great position. But I think it's a better position maybe than they should be in or about where they should be. The Eagles, on the other hand, they're on life support. I That Super Bowl champions, this is a team that – Based on the roster they had last year and the number of players that are the same this year, I thought this was a team that would be a shoe-in for the NFC East. They would easily make the playoffs, be competing at this point for the top seed in the NFC, and they're sitting at 4-5. and five. I just I don't know what to make of these Philadelphia Eagles. And if you want to talk about another team that had a good playoff run last year, the Jacksonville Jaguars oh, just yeah. lost 26-29 to the Indianapolis Colts. They're sitting at 3-6, and six, dead last in the AFC South. This is a team that knocked off the Steelers in the playoffs and got to New England in the AFC Championship game last year. Gave them a run for their money, too. They did, and they're sitting at 3-6, and six, and they beat that New England Patriots team earlier this year when they still showed signs of life sitting at 3-1. and one. Now they've lost five in a row, tied for the longest losing streak in the NFL with, you probably could have guessed it, the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> Not company you want to be in if you're a team that supposedly is supposed to be one of the best in the AFC. So those two teams I thought were interesting just because those are teams that – I think everyone expected to be in the playoffs, competing for the playoffs at least. And now here they are all but out, especially the Jaguars. Yeah, and you mentioned the Jaguars are in last. They sit behind the Colts, who I don't think the Colts are going anywhere, but they're still 4-5 and five ahead of the Jaguars, still good. Tennessee coming off a very strong victory against New England, now sitting at 5-4. and four. Definitely can make a play for the wild card spot. And the um, division leader, Houston Texans, at 6-3 and three on the heels of a six-game winning streak have recently added Demarius Thomas look extremely strong. So the division, in my opinion, is out of the question for the Jaguars. 100% out of the question. They went 10-6 last year, so they need to win out to tie their record, which I don't think is going to happen they for will not. how they've looked. They now. will not. If they can manage to scratch together 8-8, eight and eight, I just don't know that they will be able to overcome challenges like the Titans in front of them. The Dolphins sit at 4-5 and five, or 5-5 five and five above them. The Bengals sit at 5-4 and four above them. These aren't exactly teams that are great, but when you're Jacksonville sitting at 3-6 and six, – there's not much more ground for you to go up to. I saw a report that Jalen Ramsey actually went rogue in the game against the Colts. Regardless of what defensive packages were called, he was only going to play man coverage. When your all-pro cornerback who has been talking mad smack on all of the quarterbacks in the league this year is starting to go against what you are calling on defense, I don't know how that sets your team off on the right foot. The Jaguars had a good offensive showing, but you can't lose to the Colts in a a must-win game. That's why we made it one of our quick picks last week. It was must-win for Jacksonville. They are definitely just not in a good spot. I don't know what to think of them. Yeah, four and five is an uphill battle. Three and six, you're all but done. Um, especially when you've shown no signs of life in the last five weeks. Um, not eliminated. There's certainly football to be played, but I think they're all but done. In my opinion, they're eliminated. And in the also in the um, AFC North, the Bengals, an absolute shellacking by the New Orleans Saints, 51 to 14 at home. They fired their defensive coordinator, and you couldn't have guessed it if you would, if I would have told you this last week. But Marvin Lewis is now going to call the defensive plays and coordinate the defense. Marvin Lewis on a Cincinnati Bengals team who has not won since the 1990s as their defensive coordinator. What is Cincinnati doing? I don't understand how they could possibly do this. They were a team that was at one point in the year sitting in first place in the division. I believe five and two was their record. They've now lost two in a row, sitting at five and four. Definitely a team on the downhill. A.J. Green has been injured a little bit. The Steelers are very tough in their division, hard to be able to get past them. They have an important matchup against another faltering team, the four and five Ravens this week, who 
I don't know what their problem is either. They were a team that was also in first place in the division at some point this year, looked very strong after knocking off the Steelers early in the year, and have since fallen under 500. These two teams can't afford to be doing what they're doing. The only saving grace they have is that the rest of the AFC in the middle is rather mediocre, where they currently sit at or in a playoff spot. But still, they can't be playing this kind of football and expecting to get better results than they're getting. There's something in the water in Ohio, Chris. I'm telling you right now, the Browns and the Bengals doing weird things year after year. I I don't know. I don't know what to do with these two. The Bengals, I don't think were – I never believed that they were the team that their record showed they were. No, I think I we're getting closer to that point. And <laughs> yeah. I think a loss against the Ravens potentially this weekend would get them even closer to that point. Um but no, I don't. I don't know why Marvin Lewis probably shouldn't even be their coach. Let alone now calling the defensive plays. I don't know. It's 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 fun sometimes to watch these teams. It's frustrating though at the same time to watch these teams do things over and over that just don't make any sense and expecting it to work and it never does. Well, the one thing the Bengals have going for them is they've hired as a special assistant former head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Hugh Jackson, coming back to Marvin Lewis just as he was a few years ago. So I don't know what's gonna do, but. It certainly is a story headline, at least for us. I like Hugh Jackson. I've said it before. I like Hugh Jackson. He had success in Cincinnati. He had success in one season as the head coach in Oakland going 8-8. and And he was given absolutely nothing to work with in Cleveland. Yeah, it looks horrible on his resume. He looks like an awful coach. But I don't think anybody would have done much with those two Cleveland teams that he was given. So I'm a fan of Hugh Jackson. Still lots of football to be played, but some of these teams – Better be holding on to that life support because it is soon to fall off into certain doom for them. We're going to take a quick break right now, but coming up, we have a little bit of NBA trade talk and an NHL first month. Where do we see the teams at? So stay tuned.
back to Sports Takeover with Matt and Chris. Moving right along, going to go to the NBA. Jimmy Butler traded to the Philadelphia whoop, 76ers. <laughs> From the Minnesota Timberwolves, Chris, where do the 76ers stand? Well, the 76ers at the beginning of the season were definitely a team that did not look as strong as I would have imagined from how they looked in the playoffs last season. They are coming off of a Ben Simmons winning the Rookie of the Year, which has been highly debated. Joel Embiid is kind of finally coming into his own, playing full games, but the Sixers were really not looking great. They were stuck behind teams like Boston, Toronto, and Milwaukee, who were all shown to be powerhouses in the East. I think the addition of Jimmy Butler is exactly what the Sixers needed. It was talked about in the offseason that that was one of the potential landing spots for LeBron James, which I think would have helped improve their team a lot too. Jimmy Butler is a very good shooting guard. He is definitely a top five shooting guard in the league. Adding him to the Sixers gives them the ability to spread out their game without just having to worry about guys like um, Embiid or Simmons. They have a little bit more versatility. I really like J.J. Redick, too. I think he's been underrated in the league for a while. Helps him get open on the wing a little bit more. Um, they also received Justin Patton, who I don't really know all that much about, but it's another addition, so that's good for them. And they gave up to the Timberwolves. Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a second-round pick. So the Timberwolves definitely got some pieces, but Jimmy Butler was definitely the most important piece of this trade. Yeah, so Jimmy Butler, four-time All-Star in the NBA this season – Early in the season, but he's averaging 21.3 points per game, 5.2 rebounds, 4.3 assists. So certainly it'll add some value, some offensive spark to a Philadelphia team that ranks 10th in offense at this point in the season. Um, you talked about their performance so far. They're sitting at 9-6, and six, third in the East, 3.5 behind Toronto for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Certainly early. Third is obviously not a bad place to be in. But Jimmy Butler definitely, I think, is a huge addition. Um, and just... Simply looking at the teams he's played for in the past, since he's left Chicago, that team has, hasn't been close to the same. Nothing. And as soon as he got to Minnesota, that team took a step forward. Now, obviously, there are other players involved there, too. Other players left Chicago. Other players came to Minnesota. Other players were already in Minnesota. But regardless, you can see a shift in win-loss according to where Jimmy Butler goes. So I certainly think that this is good for the, uh, for the 76ers. You talked about Justin Patton. First-round pick last season, 7-foot tall. Could could be useful. He's only played one game in the NBA, so okay, that's why I don't know. Yeah, about him I looked at a depth chart for the 76ers. He's listed at third at his position, so it's not certainly just uh, a a piece that was tacked on. Why not? Worst thing that happens is he doesn't pan out. So be it. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is the is the main part here. Um, you talked about what Philadelphia gave up: Sarge, Covington, Bayless, and a, a second round pick. The second round pick. In 2022, I think is interesting. Obviously, that's a number of years down the road. I think that works in their favor. I've never understood why teams are so eager to trade for picks that are three years down the road, especially a Timberwolves team that isn't, I don't think, rebuilding. No, they're in a weird in-between phase. I they think. are, but I don't know that they're rebuilding to the point that a second-round pick that they acquire for three years down the road, four years down the road, is super beneficial, but for the 76ers, you're looking at a team that, for all intents and purposes, can win now, and you're not giving up a, a draft pick immediately. So I think that's great for them as well. It was only a second-round pick in the first place, not a first, but the fact that it's not until 2022, I think, is great for Philadelphia. And it helps Timberwolves, too, because we talked about it earlier in the year. There was definitely turmoil between Jimmy Butler and the Timberwolves at one point. I mentioned he took the reserves and bench players and – a scrimmage against the starters and beat them and said you can't win without me and now he's well now they're without him so we're gonna see what the Timberwolves can do but he certainly was not a great influence on the Timberwolves as a team I think he's a very good player I think he is he has a little bit of an ego and personality go with him but maybe that's what makes him a good player definitely interesting to see where the Sixers go one interesting thing I did see about the Sixers is though that they kind of sound like they're starting to maybe want to part ways with last year's number one overall pick in the entire draft Markel Fultz I saw Fultz recently no longer works with the same trainer. He has been very troubled in his career with the Sixers. He has had to redevelop his shot for I don't know why he decided to, but he did not really had a strong year. Kind of been um, combated with a lot of shoulder problems because of changing his shooting style. And the other night there was a specific moment in the game the Sixers were playing. He had a free throw where he double clutched on it. He said the ball slipped out of his hands. It's just kind of the point – I think where the straw finally broke the camel's back and Markel Fultz is no longer the same answer that the Sixers want him to be, but Jimmy Butler most certainly can be. Interesting. 
Uh, let's move on now to the NHL. We're a month in. What have we learned so far? So I'll start looking at the Atlantic, pretty much what we have expected. Um, the teams that are at the top are the teams that we thought would be at the top. A couple exceptions. Montreal is sitting at 9-5-3. and three. Certainly a team that I thought was going to be at the bottom. Certainly a team... 9-6-3, and three, excuse me, thank you. Um, certainly a team that I think can still fall to the bottom. Um, Florida is also an interesting team. 7-5-3. and three. Um, I don't know. I expected them to be better than that. This is improvement. I think that's a four-game winning streak for them. Not 100% sure on that. Um, but certainly they've, they're climbing the standings a bit, and they have games to play opposed to teams um, that are above them. Five-game winning streak. So certainly um, some good news there for the Florida Panthers. Looking at the top of the league, Tampa Bay and Nashville, we'll talk about them. They have a matchup coming up. Um, but the Lightning come in at 12-5-1, Nashville at 13-3-1. Yeah, those teams I think people would have expected to be good. They – lead you know their leagues respectively also staying in the Atlantic I think everybody would expect Tampa Toronto Boston to be the top three in the Western Conference the Central it's Nashville Minnesota Winnipeg so all six of those teams are teams I think everybody expected to be in the positions they currently are the Metropolitan and the Pacific Divisions however offer some interesting variation to the standard structure currently in the Metropolitan Columbus is in first place followed by the Islanders and Rangers tied two points behind no Washington, no Pittsburgh in that top three, Matt. What's the deal with those two teams? I, they're going to come around. I, sure I don't. Hope. Columbus, I have some faith in. Um, they've showed signs in the last few years of being a solid hockey team. They are sixth in the NHL right now. I don't know that they'll stay at that point. I think that's a little bit high. I don't think they're going to make noise come playoff time because I cannot stand John Tortorella. I'm in full agreement with that. This team plays the wrong style of hockey to try to win a Stanley Cup. But for regular season purposes, I think this is certainly a playoff team. The two teams from New York, I find it very difficult to believe that they will be in a similar position by the end of the season. I thought the same thing with New Jersey last year, and they found a way to get there. But I don't have faith in the Rangers. I don't have faith in the Islanders. I expect them to be down where the Devils currently sit at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, both those New York teams have actually gone on winning streaks recently. In their last 10, the Islanders are 6-2-2, two, and two, the Rangers 7-2-1. and one. So they weren't teams that were doing much 10 games ago, but then they now are. The Islanders do have Barry Trotz, former Washington Capitals, Stanley Cup winning coach for them, which I'm not a fan of Trotz, but I recognize that he is a good coach, and he is definitely bringing the Islanders more success than people would have thought since the departure of John Tavares. For now. The Rangers, I know. Don't know about them either they're a team that i think will fall off moving over into the pacific huge surprise vancouver canucks the vancouver canucks sitting in first place in the pacific followed by the calgary flames and san jose sharks tied for second wow that's all i gotta say about that i like the flames and sharks to me those two aren't surprises uh vancouver on the other hand is eighth in the national hockey league and that makes no sense to me we'll see what the what happens here as the season progresses but I just think that the Western Conference has so many strong teams. I feel like a team like Vancouver is eventually going to be weeded out, but they're, I mean, they're, they're at the top right now, and time will tell. They have some solid young players, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, guys like that, but I don't know. I don't, I don't see them standing there. But I think for me what's the most interesting in the West is the bottom. Oh, yeah. The teams who have dominated the Western Conference and have made significant playoff pushes in recent years are all at the bottom. Chicago, team that's won three Stanley Cups since 2010. They're sitting at 6-8-4, 27th in the NHL, without their Stanley Cup champion head coach. Interesting situation for them. The St. Louis Blues are sitting at 6-6-3, six, six, 28th in the NHL. Not a team that's gone to a Stanley Cup final in recent years, but a team that has been fantastic in the regular season. A team that has made it to the Western Conference Final. A team that has been right on the cusp but hasn't quite been able to break through. They're certainly not breaking through right now. They're at the very bottom. Vegas, 7-10-1, 30th in the NHL. Now, I'm not calling Vegas a Western Conference powerhouse. They've been in the league for one year. But in that one year, they represented the West in the Stanley Cup Final. Now they turn around and they're at the bottom of the league. Interesting there. Los Angeles Kings, 5-10-1, dead last in the NHL. 5-11-1. Yeah, they actually lost on Tuesday night too, so bad for De them. Dead last. They don't have their championship coach either. Haven't. Just fired their championship assistant coach at the time. I These, these teams at the bottom, it's just crazy to think – that in such a short period of time, the West can be turned totally upside down. 
Yeah, those teams are huge surprises. Vegas, I think people were surprised to see how well they did last year. I think what's even more surprising is how poorly they're doing this year. Not a lot of pieces have changed. Yes, they have lost James Neal. Yes, they've lost David Perron. They added Paul Stasny and lost him to injury. However, essentially it's the same team at its core. The big players, Jonathan Marcheseau, William Carlson, Marc-Andre Fleury, all those players are still on the team. Still have Gerard Gallant, you know, still have George McPhee. Not any drastic changes. And they sit at the bottom with really they haven't looked good at any point of the season. They're three and eight away, so they clearly can't play out of their building right now. And for as strong as the top of the Western Conference is with some teams that are currently wild card spots too, such as Dallas and Colorado on the upside looking in, it's just hard for Vegas to make up a lot of ground. The one thing that Vancouver does not have going for them is yes, they do sit in first in their division, but their goal differential is negative six. Wow. So yeah, that's surprising. For a first place team. Yeah, wow. com- compared to Nashville's who's is plus twenty and Tampa's who's is plus fourteen. So Definitely doesn't don't have that going for them. In the Eastern Conference, you mentioned we saw Vegas at the bottom, the good playoff team last year. Well, New Jersey is at the bottom right now. They were a wild card team last year. Definitely gave the Tampa not a great run for their money, but you know made them fight. Ottawa, a team that has blown up their entire team since they traded away Eric Carlson and have since faltered entirely since they made the uh, Eastern Conference Finals not only two seasons ago, and. We said Florida's up there. Well, Pittsburgh's down there, in my opinion. Yes, they've had a few less games played, but still they're sitting very close to the bottom, non-position that you really want to be in at this point in the season, I don't think. I, I'm i still early enough in the season that my perception of teams coming in is still to a degree what I expect. New Jersey's at the bottom. I think that's where they belong. Last year they made the playoffs, yeah, but I was never buying into them last year. I'm not buying into them this year. I think the bottom is where they should be. And they've been bad since they had, a, they had a really good start, and they've been bad since. Pittsburgh is a team that should be competing for a Stanley Cup, and I have no doubt that come April that's exactly what they're going to be doing. There's too much talent on that team. There's too much experience on that team for them to stay where they're at right now. And if they do stay where they're at, expect big changes because that can't be tolerated for a team like that. And Washington, too, not quite as low as Pittsburgh currently in the standings, but still a a very good team on the outside looking in, a team that, in my opinion, will be there. And I, like I said, excuse me, with the New York teams, I don't see any reason that those teams stay in. So for me, that's an easy two-for-two swap come this point in March. And some interesting news just from players. Some people didn't really think that these guys would be at the top of the league in their position, but they are. Miko Rantanen, the winger for the first on the first line for the Avalanche, currently sits in first place with 26 points. Patrice Bergeron is right behind a 25. Another Colorado player, center for that first line, Nathan McKinnon, has 24. Colorado, yes, is a good team. They made the playoffs last year. Definitely a team on the climb. Nathan McKinnon, I thought, was deserving of an MVP last season. Did not get it. I'm not. I'm very surprised to see that Rantanen is doing as well as he has. I knew McKinnon had this in him, but Rantanen has just been lighting up the lamp with assists, not really goals, but still, 20 assists is nothing to shy away from. Boston's first line has been heralded as great over the past few years. Patrice Bergeron sits in second right now with 25 points. Right winger David Posternock sits in fourth with 23 points, first with 16 goals. So we see those two players who teams have – people around the league have understood have been good for a few years, doing some very interesting things and very good things moving forward. Yeah, just a couple more quick notes on players. Patrick Kane, great player, kind of had a down year last year. He's sitting at 22 points, tied for seventh, 12 goals, tied for second. So maybe despite the Blackhawks not having success, we're seeing a little bit of a bounce-back season from Patrick Kane. And Thomas Shabbat, I think I'm saying that right, defenseman for the Ottawa Senators, 21 years old, 22 points, also obviously tied for seventh in the NHL. Um, not a lot of experience on his NHL resume, but boy, is he standing out right now for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, who needs Eric Carlson? That's right. So I just awesome numbers for him. We'll see how long he can keep that going. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but stay tuned. We have some quick picks and bull predictions to follow. Don't go anywhere. Yo, Chief, they can't stop me from rapping, can they? Can they hop? I spit it through the wire, man. Too much stuff on my heart right now, man. I gladly risk it all right now. It's a life or death situation, man. Y'all, y'all, y'all don't really understand how I feel right now, man. It's your boy Kanye Titter. Shot Town, what's going on? Uh. 
yeah, I drink a boost for breakfast, an insure for dessert. Somebody order pancakes, I just sip the scissor. That right there could drive a sane man bizzer. Not to worry, Mr. Ace to the Eagles back to wizard. How do you console my mom or give a light support? Telling her son's own life support. And just imagine how my girl feel. On the plane, scared as hell that a guy looked like Emmett Till. She was with me before the deal. She been trying to be mine. She a Delta, so she been throwing that dynasty sign. No use me trying to be lying. I've been trying to be signed. Trying to be a millionaire. How I use two lifelines. In the same hospital where Biggie Smalls died. The doctor said I had blood clots. But I ain't Jamaican, man. Story on MTV. And I ain't trying to make a band. I swear this right here. History in the making, man. I really apologize to everyone right now. If, if it's unclear at all, man. They got my mouth wired shut for like, I don't know, the doctor said like six weeks. You know, yeah, we can start. I have to start the surgery on my jaw. I looked in the mirror. Half of my jaw was in the back of my mouth, man. I couldn't believe it. But I'm still here for y'all right now, man. This is what I got to say right here, though. Yeah. Turn me up, yeah. Oh. Uh. What if somebody from the shadow was ill, got a deal on the hottest rap label around? But he wasn't talking about coke and birds, it was more like spoken word. Except he's really putting it down. And he explained the story about how blacks came from glory and what we need to do in the game. Good dude, bad night, right place, wrong time, in the blink of an eye, his whole life changed. If you could feel how my face felt, you would know how Mace felt. Thank God I ain't too cool for the safe belt. I I swear to God, drive a two on a sue. I got a lawyer for the case to keep us in my safe, safe. My dogs couldn't tell if I look like Tom Cruise on Vanilla Sky. It was televised. It's been an accident like Geico. The thought I was burned up like Pepsi did Michael. I must got an angel, cause look how death missed his ass. Unbreakable, what you thought they call me Mr. Glass? Look back on my life like the ghost of Christmas past. Toys of us where I used to spend that Christmas cash. And I still won't grow up. I'm a grown ass kid, swear I should be locked up for stupid shit that I did, but I'm a champion, so I turn tragedy uh -huh. to triumph, yeah. make music that's fire, yeah. slip my soul through the wire, Woo. you know what I'm saying, when the doctor told me I had a, um, I was gonna have to have a plate in my chin, I said, dog, don't you realize I'm never making it on a plane now, it's bad enough I got all this jewelry on, she can't be serious, man. On RMU Radio, Matt and Chris, we're going to wind things down here with quick picks and bold predictions. So let's start with quick picks in the NFL. Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. We talked about this earlier, two teams that are in interesting positions. I'm going to take the Baltimore Ravens. They're at home. To me, they're just the better football team. Despite the record being worse, I, I think that come the end of the season, that'll be the better team. Cincinnati's coming off a total blowout against the, the New Orleans Saints. I'm going with the Ravens. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to go with the Ravens. This is a must-win, I think, once again, for both of these teams. You cannot afford to go 5-5 five five for the Bengals or 4-6 and six for the Ravens. However, I do think the Ravens are going to win. Their defense is stronger than the Bengals' defenses. The Bengals' offense has been struggling. They only put up 14 against New Orleans. I'm going to go with Baltimore. Moving forward, an interesting game that is very impactful in the NFC North. We have Minnesota Vikings at the Chicago Bears. I'm a big fan of Cleo Mack. I'm a big fan of Mitch Trubisky, what he's been doing this year. So I'm going to go with the Bears. It's a really big game, kind of just going to decide what the division is going to look like moving forward. Bears currently sit above Minnesota, but I think they will pull ahead in this one. I'm going to go with the Vikings. The Vikings are a team that I liked at the beginning of the season, and I still like the Bears for sure. But the Vikings defense has rebounded. It's sitting at fifth. The Bears are at fourth. Uh, I just I personally like Minnesota better. The the strong point of their team is their defense. It's coming kind of to where it should be now. I like the Vikings. Chiefs at Rams, a game that was originally supposed to be played in Mexico City. The field was horrible. Now they're playing in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm going with the Rams, and I would have gone with the Rams either way. These are both of these offenses are unbelievable. And the key difference is that the Chiefs' defense is horrendous. And I think, plain as day, that's what's going to get them. I'm taking the Rams. Yeah, the Rams and Chiefs game opened with the largest ever in NFL history opening line between the two between two teams, 63.5 projected points. 
Their offenses are high-flying. Like you mentioned it, though, the Chiefs' defense is low-flying, barely scraping anything. They have a lot of sacks, but if they don't get sacks, they don't have anything else. And Jared Goff and Todd Gurley are two MVP candidates who I think will lead the Rams to victory in this tough game. Moving into college football, we have number 12 Syracuse traveling to Yankee Stadium to play Notre Dame, who is ranked number three. As much as I want to pick Syracuse, I have to go with the Fighting Irish. They are a team that is undefeated this year. Syracuse was not a team that originally would have been any kind of threat on the schedule. They now are an important game for the Fighting Irish, and I think they are a game that they will overcome. So I'm going to go with Notre Dame. I'm going to go with Notre Dame too, but this is tough for me because these are two teams that I really like this season. I really love what Notre Dame has been able to do sitting at third in the country undefeated. I really like what Syracuse has done to climb to number 12, but at the end of the day, I just think Notre Dame's a better football team, so I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Um, number 24, Cincinnati. At number 11, UCF. I'm going with Cincinnati. The winning streak for UCF ends here. UCF just doesn't play anybody. I don't. I understand that you win all of your games, but you have to play somebody real for that to carry some substance to it. Cincinnati is 9-1, and one, easily the toughest test UCF has seen this year, maybe the toughest test they've seen in the last two years. I think it gets the better of them on taking Cincinnati. Well, you want substance, Matt? They're going to get substance this week. UCF is going to keep the winning streak alive, keep their college football playoff hopes alive. They are going to beat Cincinnati. They are going to take the advantage of playing at home, take their undefeated record, say, Cincinnati wants to come in here and knock us off. Well, no, not today, sir. UCF will come out triumphant in this game. Moving into the NHL, we have the very important game matchup, second one of the season for these two teams. Tampa Bay Lightning will be traveling to Nashville to play the Predators. Both these teams sit at the top of their division. Early in the year, the Predators took the first game a few weeks back. I'm going to go with the Lightning this game. I just think it's going to be a redemption game for them. Nothing else really about the game indicates anything will be in favor of either team. Both teams are playing excellently right now. I just think Tampa's going to use the redemption to win. I like Nashville. And I do think there's something that gives Nashville the edge. Tampa Bay, will be, that game will be the final game of a four-game road trip for the Tampa Bay Lightning that started Tuesday night in Buffalo, which was a loss for them. I just think a road trip gets to any team, and I think it'll get to them as well. Nashville's a great team in their building, taking on what could be a tired Tampa Bay team. I like the Predators. Uh, finally, we'll wrap things up in the NBA. Warriors at Spurs. The Warriors are a team that should be at the top. The Spurs are a team who have had a little bit of a surprising start to the season. But I like the Warriors strictly because of the offensive production. The Warriors are second in the NBA in points at well over 100. I think it's 124-ish, give or take. The Spurs offense ranks 21st. I just don't think the Spurs offense can keep up with that of the Warriors. I'm taking Golden State. Golden State's had some interesting trouble this week. There's been conferences between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant on the court. They have been very much against each other. I think this is the issue that will lead to the Spurs defeating them this game. I like what DeMar DeRozan's done. He's quietly had a very good season for the Spurs. Important game for the Spurs early in the year. I think I'm going to take them. Moving forward, we have bold predictions to wrap up the show. My first one will start in the NFL. The Cardinals and the Raiders play this week, a game that means absolutely nothing, except for the NFL draft, where I will say that the loser of this game will have the number one overall pick in the draft. Both these teams combined right now for three victories on the season. It's just a terrible game all the way through. So I just got to imagine whoever loses this is just going to be the say, okay, we lost the least important game of the season. Now it's time to move forward to the draft. I love it. Um, I'm going to look at college football, and I'm going to keep the hate coming to UCF. Not only do I think they're going to lose this week to Cincinnati, I think they're going to lose out for the rest of the regular season. The only other game that they have after that is USF. They're at USF. That team is a 7-3 and football team. These are two teams, easily the two toughest teams that UCF has played all season. UCF, I'm, I'm quite honestly, I'm sick of UCF. Uh, they, they, they win football games. They complain that they should be ranked. But they don't beat anybody. There's no substance. And you told me I'm going to get substance. I don't believe it. I think they're going to lose out. Well, I think they're going to win out, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. My second bowl prediction will move into the NBA. Timberwolves recently traded away Jimmy Butler. One Timberwolf this year who has had much success is Derrick Rose. He's kind of had a resurgence. I think he will be able to win the Comeback Player of the Year award in the NBA. He's been putting up very strong numbers, over 20 points a game, averaging over 25 minutes a game. Without Jimmy Butler, he is the main guy on their offense right now seeing how he's played this year so I think his play will show he's had a 50 point game this year too most of his career his play the rest of the season will show that he is the comeback player in the NBA I'll go with the Timberwolves as well not quite as positive I think they're going to miss the playoffs and I think it's unfortunate because coming into the season I really thought they could be a contender like I really really like them in the Western Conference 
But things went downhill with Jimmy Butler. He's gone. They're sitting at 5-9. and nine. The West is tough. Obviously, with Golden State there, it's tough for anybody. But it's tough with some other teams, too. I just... I just think he's too big of a piece for them to lose. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's a shame to see where the Timberwolves have fallen to. Lastly, I'm going to go back into the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. We mentioned the championship this week. Didn't give our predictions on who the winners are. Well, from the beginning of the playoffs, when it was a 16-driver field, I said that Kyle Busch would be the champion. Nothing about the playoffs this year has indicated anything else to me, so I will stick with Kyle Busch as the champion he will not only be the champion, he will win the race and be the 2018 champion in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. I will go with Kevin Harvick, and I talked about some of his numbers earlier, top fives and top tens, not only on the season, but also in his career at this track. I just think that the history is there for him. I think he's been great this season. I think he's been great uh, here in Miami. Um, I, I, I don't know. I like Kevin Harvick this week to, to take it, take the championship in NASCAR. Very exciting to see where that lands us. All right, uh, we will not be live next week. Uh, Thanksgiving break for us. Gobble, gobble, gobble. So November 28th at 8 a.m. Wednesday, as always, will be our 8 p.m. I'm sorry, 8 p.m. on November 28th uh, will be our next show. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Give thanks.